Welcome everyone to the Shadows Podcast. For the past three years, the Shadows has been your go-to source for intimate one-on-one conversations with guests sharing their personal journeys and shadows that they've had to conquer. Now, it's a formula that's worked brilliantly since our inception in 2020. But as we step into 2024, the Shadows is embarking on a brand new journey. We are evolving into bringing you insightful sit-down conversations with special guests who will help us explore the profound realms of personal and professional development. Join us each week as we delve deep into the core of essential life skills, emotional intelligence, and the diverse range of critical factors that mold your personal growth. Captivating dialogue, expert perspectives, and real life situations, our mission is to equip you with the knowledge and inspiration to conquer life's challenges and unlock your full potential. We aim to create a treasure trove of wisdom, tackling quotes, issues, obstacles that you might encounter and discussing effective strategies to overcome them. So join us in gaining a comprehensive understanding of the tools and approaches that will empower you to thrive in both your personal and professional lives. Shadows Podcast is your guide to illuminate the path forward. We will start this in 2024. Each episode, folks, we aim to be around 30 minutes or less. Now, without further ado, enjoy this episode of The Shadows Podcast. Howdy dowdy, Shadowites. Wait, John, do they even call themselves that? Mm, I don't know, Kirk, but they should. John, the commercial. Right. How many more times are you going to invest $5 in heated bean juice only to fizzle out faster than your New Year's resolution? Trust us, we've been there. During our days running 24-hour operations, the struggle was real. That's why, as veterans, we decided to create the game changer that we wish we had. Sisu Stamina Energy Chews. Designed with precision. And science. Sisu Stamina is your take-anywhere, do-anything fuel that provides immediate, smooth energy, razor focus, and compounding health benefits, all for about a buck a serving. Head over to ULAUniverse.com. Use Shadows 10 at checkout to save site-wide so you can conquer your shadows today and forge a brighter tomorrow. You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life beyond the rut. So again, go check out beyondtherut.com where you can find blog posts and podcast episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those five F's, faith, family, fitness, finances, and future possibility. Because again, life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. Now go check it out. Beyond the rut. Hi, my name is Marlon Taylor. I played the young Mike Hanlon in the 1990 version of Stephen King's It, and you are listening to The Shadows Podcast. So where are where are you located exactly? So I'm located in the greater Colorado Springs area in a town called Peyton. So it's, it's right where the Rocky Mountains meet the Great Plains. We're kind of right in the fusion there. I'm so jealous just by you explaining that I'm I, I explained mine I'm between front porch grill and the water tower and, <laughs> yeah, <geez>. yeah. <laughs> how, how far are you from uh noble uh noble's only about seven minutes from me so we're both kind of out here in the country uh that's a country neighbor anything under 15 minutes is an easy country neighbor so we're real close and then Colorado Springs for perspective that's a fairly large area is about 30 minutes from here, due west. So no wonder time. every time I talk to the two of y'all, y'all are like the nicest people. <laughs> it's a, there's not a lot to be angry about. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I want to go ahead and jump into some rapid fire questions and then we'll actually start to unpack your story here. First Beautiful. question for you outside of yours, a book recommendation for our listeners. 
Okay, I'm grateful that you didn't ask my favorite book. Uh, a book recommendation, one I just finished reading that was incredibly powerful was called The Choice. And that was by uh, Dr. Edith Egger. She was a Holocaust survivor. Mm. And it was just a beautifully powerful story with tons of practical tools that you can utilize in your own life. So highly recommend that. The Choice, okay. And that'll be listed under our resource recommendations. What's your favorite book? Well, I guess I set myself up for that one. Follow-up question. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I look at books as tools. So it's like, you don't want to screw in a, a nail. Uh, you do not yeah. want to screw in a nail, right? So yeah. it, it's what works. But if I had to say, like, top two, three rapid fire, it'd be 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, Extreme Ownership by uh, Jocko Willink, and, you know, Radical Candor comes to mind. I forget the name of that author, but that was a really solid one, too. Those are three. I've read all three of those. They're all really good. Mm-hmm. Radical Candor. I can't, I can picture the cover of it, but I can't think of the author. You know what? We'll throw those uh, in the resource. Here, I'll give you the author right now. I have my, my assistant with me. You got to love AI, man. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, the, the best quote from Radical Candor is if you're going to eat a poop sandwich, don't nibble. So, yeah. It's kind of a. <laughs> Let's see. Kim Scott? Yep. That sounds right. My my secretary got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still, it, it's a, it's amazing. Technology's uh, fun. I'm curious to ask you this question because of the, I mean, just ideal scenery you have around you over there. What is a bucket list place to travel to for you that you've not been to yet? That's a fair question. I'm so content not to travel that I don't have a location that I desire to go. I want to grab a hold of some cows and raise my sons and just uh, sink some roots a bit more deeply and build community. So I'll have to answer your question with option D, uh, none of the above. None but, of the above. Okay. Yeah. All right. Free ticket to go anywhere. And you're like, I'm turning it down. Um, uh, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> pet peeve. Uh, lack of attention to detail. Yeah. I, I can respect that. I can respect that fully. Uh, next question. Music. What is that one song on your playlist you don't want anybody to know you listen to? Oh, Ice Cream by Selena Gomez. Yeah. I would not <laughs> have pegged you for that one. Okay. Yeah, you, you said the one song that I wouldn't want people to know. So I had to give you yeah. that. But my playlist is kind of like lyrical whiplash. You're going to be bouncing all around the genres. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's diversity. Dinner for three. Three historical figures no longer with us. Who do you break bread with? Uh, Theodore Roosevelt. I think JFK would be interesting. And I want to sit down with Nikola Tesla mm. as well. That'd be a fun one. Okay. Yeah. that's uh, uh, Roosevelt's been to a couple of these. JFK a couple as well, but not Tesla. So that's good call there with those three. All right. Survived our rapid fire. Now we're going to get into your journey. So take our listeners back to your childhood. Like what was childhood like for Jonathan? What were some of your early aspirations as a kid? Yeah, I think I had a pretty blessed childhood for the most part. Uh, We were a middle-class family, so I didn't want for food or or shelter, which was great. Um, Like a lot of people growing up in the last you know, 30 years or so parents split and that kind of caused a lot of questioning for what made sense in the world from a young age, which actually was a very helpful tool as I continued to develop because it allowed me to not just take things carte blanche, but kind of start applying critical thought. Uh, And then that launched a, I'd say a trajectory of almost cynical exploration born from some of the anger and hurt that came from that. But that also mm-hmm. fueled a lot of uh, drive and passion to grow. So I wasn't for a while, I was just kind of trying to find the way, I think. And then later, later in high school, early college, I determined to start serving. And at that point, I just wanted to become the best leader possible. And then that evolved through young adult years to uh, creating the company that my partner and I've created, the book and all the other fun jazz. But uh, a lot of the, my childhood's frankly repressed. 
<laughs> so yeah. I kind of said Flash and Groves from what I remember or not, but if I had to give a 50,000 foot view, that'd be the synopsis. Yeah. What, what advice do you have for parents out there that have gone through a divorce or a separation? And number one concern more times than not is, oh my gosh, I've just messed my kid's life up. Oh my gosh, they're going to grow up with, with so many issues because of this. Yeah, the, uh, well, I think no matter what, kids are going to grow up, like people, us as humans are going to grow up you, with scars, right? You're not going to be unscathed regardless of the background. So there's hope in that. Uh, what frustrated me the most or what I would uh, advise someone who is now divorced or going through divorce with kids is having those radically candid, honest conversations about what's occurring. Uh, kids are humans. And though they may not have the tool sets to be able to articulate what they're feeling or what they're seeing as well as an adult, and that is giving a lot of credit to some adults, they oftentimes are intuitive enough to know if it's true or not and uh, can smell when it's a lie or if it's the truth. So I'd say be as radically honest as you can be without that becoming damaging and allow them to gain that understanding and help equip them with the tools to navigate those frustrations and the space to work through those emotions so that they can actually heal through it with you, right? It it brings to mind this uh, saying for grief, which is uh, let it in, let it last, let it fade. The kids need that just as much as the adults and yeah. they need to be met on some level, I think as, as partners in a way that's appropriate for whatever their age is uh, to be allowed to actually process that and not be kept in the dark. Cause frankly, I think monsters grow there more than anything else. Yeah. I've noticed a lot from doing this. I mean, in, in your episode, I mean, we're getting up closer to 200 at this point. And I've noticed from so many guests on here that when we start to really talk about childhood, not everybody had the white picket fences and the tanners. I mean, it was, they, a lot of people grew up with uh, Rocky childhoods and they've gone on to be really, really successful and do some amazing things in life. So, uh, you know, you know, if there's one thing I've really noticed from this is that we there's a stigma around divorce, like oh, the, our kids are going to be ruined. They're going to, you know, all these issues growing up. It's really the parenting throughout, like how the parents address it and handle it, and like you said, have those those candid conversations with them um, that, that goes a long way. When did you know that the military was something you wanted to do? Uh, I'd say really early college. I was kind of in the gym a lot already. Had the mentality, the desire to engage and combatives, things like that. So it just became more and more natural fit. And I wasn't happy with the other trajectories I was seeing. So it seemed like a fun adventure. Leave where I was from, jump officer, or something greater than myself. I was kind of at a fork in the road between joining a, a gang system or joining the military. And uh, one of the guys in the other circle was a veteran. And he's like, hey, I don't recommend the life I've chosen. I think you should go this route. And you that say was one game? of the funny conversations. Yeah, yeah, 1% so you- motorcycle gang. Okay, so, so like a so you yeah. watched Sons of Anarchy season one and two, and you were ready to go. It was before that, but uh, yeah, kind of. So it, it just turned out, you know, evaluating it all. I was, I, in fairness, my trajectory was more towards the military, but there were some things that were also alluring there, and we were just able to demystify that and choose the the path of let's serve something greater, let's protect the values that we care for in this country, and let's go. And then. Uh, Thank goodness. That's the, the path I chose. So I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, military's got, I'm sure they had a better retirement plan, better leave program uh, than, than the biker gang. Yeah. Yeah. The biker gang, that was definitely a, a young man's foolish temptation. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. by no means am I uh, advocating that whatsoever. Yeah. But, okay. So how, how long were you actually in the military? So I served, uh, I just served my initial stint. So I commissioned in 14 and exited in 19. Okay. Yeah. And so looking back on that journey, 14 to 19, what would you say was the, well, actually first, what was your job in the military? I was an artillery officer. Okay. So uh, ended as a battalion fire direction officer. So just coordinated fires for our brigade space. And that was really fun. How many deployments did you have? I was not given the opportunity. Really? Yeah. 
Wow. In the yeah. army. In the army, not given the opportunity. Our third brigade was our heavy brigade and they deployed frequently. But the striker brigade that I was a part of, um, the first SBCT did not have the opportunity while I was there. Yeah. We were gone 90% of the time in the field, but just nothing of greater value than training. So did you have a family at that point? Oh, yes. Yeah. The family, my family started in college with my first son. And then the second one was born while I was at uh, the basic officer leadership course. And then the twins were born uh, when I was in my first duty position. So wow. we had four under three. I like to ask this. Talk about the importance of they don't get enough love. They do not get enough love. Military families. Oh, man. I mean, you're essentially in many ways signing up to be a single parent that has like, are you familiar with like the four stages of team development? Storming, yeah. storming, norming, through norming. Yep. Yep. Storming through norming. Right. Well, essentially you're in a constant storming state because the service member is gone so frequently that it would create this cycle of the remaining parent would get things in order, take care of stuff to whatever capacity they had. And then that would be messed up by mom or dad returning you know, messed up playfully. And then however long they're home, that new cycle and that new norm would be worked back into and then back out again. So I, I just have all of the credit in the world to my wife for uh, handling that with grace, raising our four sons and always welcoming home with a smile on her face because we're able to work through a lot. But military families put in a lot of work with a lot less support and you know, from their partner. And I think it's, it's beautiful because it's their own act of service. So. Dogs have absolutely just gone crazy for like the last five minutes. So if you keep seeing me hit mute or you hear doorbells or dogs barking, excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, whenever you go to like sporting events and stuff and they're like, well, active duty military stand up, I think they need to recognize the, the spouses and the kids just as much, if not more, because they're the ones who, you know, like you said, constant, it's just constant change and, and mm-hmm. picking up moving. And sometimes spouses can't even get their careers on track because we're going to Georgia, we're going to California, we're going to Guam, we're going to all these other places. So, yeah. What, what biggest thing you learned about yourself in the military? Uh, that I needed to be one person in every arena of life. So uh, I did. I did fairly well. I, I was fast tracking through my time and I realized towards the end, a pretty pivotal part of my journey about a year, it, it actually led to my decision to leave that I was one person when I was serving another person at home, another person at church, another person here. And that fragmentation of self was causing significant issues for me uh, because I, and I had acquired that skill set growing up, you know, be this person at mom's house, this person at dad's house, this person at the step parents' house you know, at school, et cetera. So I had grown very custom and had lost track with how to live as a single unified person. And that started to allow, despite the excellence and uh, the excellence I was presenting in the professional sphere, it was starting to erode some of my morals, erode who I was holistically, erode my priorities, and ultimately drew me to uh, realized that by no fault of the military's, but a fault of my own, I needed to make a radical shift in my trajectory to allow for the realignment that I had assessed needed to occur. So that that's what I learned. I'd say as far as the the big life lessons, with you know, kind of that struggle, and I think a lot of people listening to this, especially those who've served in the military, can relate to what you just said because I've had that same conversation with my wife before, where uh, it's like you're playing different roles and mm-hmm. start to get lost it's like method acting in a way it's like you're acting and then you come home and you're trying to go back into being someone else but you you start to lose track of who you really are where was that like aha moment for you when you were like i've got to make a paradigm shift here yeah absolutely so that was i don't i don't know the date but it was about three o'clock in the morning one of my redheads uh one of my sons he happens to be the my redheaded son uh he was routinely having nightmares and he was like three, four years old at the time, but his nightmares were pretty dark. They were like men circling the house, just standing and like watching it burn down, coming in, killing everyone like dark things for a young boy. who's not aware of any of that type of stuff. So it's like 
it's pretty frustrating that they were occurring. And one of the mornings uh, I went in there and I drank a lot when I was home. So I was a little bit groggy, but he woke up and was crying and I knew he had a nightmare and I went in, I was kind of out of it. And I was like, all right, buddy, like uh, let, let's get you settled back down and got himself down. And I wasn't praying much at the time, uh, but I decided to pray for him that night. And just, it, it kind of hit me like a thunderbolt that the reason he was having nightmares was because I was advocating my duties and responsibilities to create the environment of peace and safety that was necessary for my home. And when that struck me and that like mirror was held up, it was crystal clear that a lot was going to need to change and a lot of who I was was going to need to be uh, burnt off and redefined. And that really was the catalyzing moment, crystal clear moment that launched ultimately the decision to leave the military, uh, re- you know, recommit and begin exploring what faith looks like, given the experiences I had had and begin forging a version of self that was for one thing, one person, and for another thing of value that I was actually able to look at in the mirror and not be disgusted by. So that kind of culmination of things was all launched because of that one moment. And I'm grateful it happened. Uh, so. Wow. What, what does spiritual resiliency look like to you? Testing everything. <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I have a, a fairly, liberal view as far not politically but as far as what is possible and i don't think things need to fit in a box and i think that anything of value will not only withstand but flourish under scrutiny and analysis so i think being resilient is not being afraid to ask questions that we don't have the answers to and plunging straight into the unknown yeah and speaking of plunging into the unknown, when you decided to make that move and leave the military where you had security, you had stability, you had structure, you had all of that. What did that look like for you making that decision and having that conversation with your spouse? Like, Hey, this is, this is the route we're going. <laughs> so my wife's amazing. Uh, we, we have an agreement that once we both gain peace on a decision that we've determined to make, We'll hit yeah. the button and let it fly. Uh, that's important because it's happened a couple times since then. But in leaving the military, I called her. I was actually at the National Training Center in Fort Irwin, California on a rotation there. And I called her and I was like, hey, babe, I think that we need to leave the military. I think it's I think it's time X, Y, and Z. And she like listened for a minute. And she's like, okay. So that was the end of that conversation for us. I went and had a conversation with my commander and so on and so forth. But I, I call it the, the veil of the unknown. I think that this is especially true for service members who are still in and looking to get out or afraid to get out. I remember having uh, the gentleman I served with being envious that I was leaving because they were afraid to. And that always struck me as weird. And it really allowed me to articulate, like, I think as long as you love and your heart is in service, you ought to. And that by no means means it's easy. It just means that your your heart is still there to serve. And that's where you want to be, Right. Uh, there's the good days, the bad days, all that, but everything in life is going to have its bumps and bruises and be difficult. So you can't escape that. So I'm not advocating that by any means, but when you realize that you're starting to grow bitter and disenfranchised with an organization as cool and powerful as the military, uh, you don't want to become someone who one taints the beautiful time that it was for yourself and two taints what it could be for others and what it needs to be for our country. So I say all that to say, there's this veil of unknown. Right. When it came to leaving, I had no idea. I couldn't even imagine. It was like I couldn't even think or comprehend what was on the other side. I just had to begin working through it and starting to figure out what does employment look like on the outside? How do you bridge that gap? And then once you pierce that veil, you, know, you see things very differently. But it was a lot of unknown. Yeah, you've mentioned something a couple of times. I'm going to pick your brain on too. You, you use the term servant. Like, what is you hear servant leadership all the time? as well. How has that served you throughout your life? You know, you can know of something and then you can truly gain an intimate experiential understanding of the same thing. So there's like layers mm. to knowing something. Uh, I think a lot of people know, air quotes, what a servant leader is. Oh yeah, you serve the guys, right? It has a lot of uh, buzz to it. You know, it's a popular phrase. I was actually in a, in a meeting 
previous uh, in the last month where someone stated, I'm so tired of hearing servant leadership. That is just what leadership is. So I don't want to hear servant anymore. And I just turned and said, that is amusing given that your leadership style does not have any correlation to service. <laughs> and it was just, that was a fun conversation, but the more truly you press into serving as far as how might I help us accomplish the impact that's desired from our, our foundation, right? If that's in the military, that's some level of uh, defense or instruction from like the world that you're in. Uh, if it's a father, maybe raising your children, if it's a husband or wife, how do you care for your partner, whatever it is, how do I best serve to that end? And in my mind, that work is put in in concentric circles from the self outward. So it's always a matter of how do I become better to be more capable to offer myself in service to my team? So am I mentally fit? Am I physically fit? Am I uh, spiritually sound for whatever that may look like for you? Do I have uh, a stability to me? And then from there, it is, have I created that stability in my home or do I allow chaos, chaos there? Cause that will distract me in my workplace. And then that continues. Do I create a place where my team can thrive and so on and so forth? Am I removing obstacles? And if, when you look at it that way, it's all outward facing, but it allows you to pour from a cup that's overflowing instead of from a place of no energy. And that service starting with the self outward uh, seems to be that that's how I embrace it. Yeah. And so you make that decision, you exit the military and we talked about, you know, like having that conversation, how tough of a transition was that when you actually, you've had the conversation with your wife. Now you are actually executing it. How was that transition in hindsight? In hindsight, I think it's one of the easier ones, frankly, because you have such a long, uh, I'll, I'll give you a juxtaposition to explain why I say this, but you have such a long runway from <laughs> when leaving military service to landing on your feet. Uh, typically, you have a significant amount of paid time off at the end, right, that you can take when programs you're leaving military service. Yeah, there's programs in place. There's tons of resources that you can sign up for internships, job placement, uh, resume, assistance you know, interview prep. So if you utilize the resources that are available and seek them out and aren't afraid to put the work into it, then I think it becomes much easier to land on your feet. And frankly, I was so busy putting the preparation in with five mouths to feed and not knowing where I was landing that I woke up there. That was difficult to use the term, but what I'd advise is like, if someone else is going through it, I'd say, just utilize the resources and put the work in. No one's going to hand you the opportunity, right? Uh, it's very unlikely that you'll be fortunate to just have the job, but otherwise use that, you know, network and put the work in. And the the biggest thing I learned in the transition process was like, how do you translate the highly valuable skill set that the military equips you with to the civilian sector? And really that just comes down to translation. It is, think of it as two languages. And once you learn how to speak the second language, it has dialects for different industries and you can learn how to translate your experience to the, that language and the specific dialect that you're looking to enter. Yeah. That's, that's good advice. That's good to know too, because I'm going to be in that position within the next you know, six years or so. So really good to hear that. And before we get into universal uh, learning approach, I do want to ask you about looking back what is that? I mean, we all have them, hence the name of the podcast, the Shadows Podcast. What is that shadows moment in your life that you felt like you were at the lowest of lows, but you learned so much about yourself in that moment that's gotten you to where you are today? I think it was the culminating uh, moment when my son was having the nightmares. Yeah. The reason being is I've been running from oneself and killing the other part of myself for over 15 years at that point, uh, trying to create something value and trying to make the world burn. And because of that, I did a lot of things I wasn't proud of and, you know, hurt a lot of people and did a lot of stuff like that. So 
that didn't help. And I was able to completely be numb to it, forget about it because of the fragmentation that I had done, uh, that I was so successful at doing and keeping the masks in their boxes until I was ready to don it again. So when that moment came, I'd say that one was probably the second one with the first one. That, that one was the most recent, most important, pivotal shift. Because from that point, everything began changing. Uh, and the trajectory of my life changed forever. But what I had to accept and what made that dark is when I looked at myself in the mirror the next morning, I realized that there is maybe somewhere inside myself 5% that I didn't want to burn off. There, there was something in there that I was okay with bringing to life. But the rest of it, I was disgusted by. I was angry with and I wanted to destroy. And that took years and years of work to burn that all out as best as I could. And I think it's part of a lifelong journey to, to pursue your ideal self. But it's uh, much better now than it was five years ago. So that's positive. Kind of reminds me of that quote. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah, all about that. That outlook and let's talk about uh i mean co-founder you mentioned ula uh universal learning approach uh earlier tell us all about that yeah so the you uh the ula the universal learning approach is the parent company for a number of initiatives that i'm leading and my partner and i are leading in pursuit of the question how might we unleash human potential so I have a, a strong belief that we are meant to lead, maximize lives, and it's a matter of how do we get there. And in a premise, uh, or in, in a succinct manner of stating it, if we learn to live intentionally, exercise consistent discipline, take radical responsibility for ourselves, and put in relentless action, then we can develop CSU and create progress. And that progress will result in us learning how to lead maximized lives. Uh, given that, the question becomes, well, how do we create tools that will help people in that journey that can help lower the bar to entry to beginning to live intentionally, exercise that discipline, do those things that I just discussed. And that really opens up the aperture to an incredibly broad spectrum of possibility. And that's where the ULA comes in. So the ULA has been being worked on in the shadows, no pun intended. Actually, yes, a pun intended. Has been being worked on in the background for three years now. And in this next month, we'll launch live. And with that launch will be uh, CSU Stamina Performance Evolved, which is our healthy uh, energy supplement, as well as, yeah, which you have a bottle of, as well as, uh, thank you. Yeah, as, as well as my book, uh, Be Relentless, If the Obstacle is the Way, Then We Must Be Waymakers, and then the podcast by the same name. And in addition to that, very soon, we'll be launching into the ULA Allies program, uh, which will allow like-minded businesses and organizations to partner in a myriad of ways, as well as having an affiliate program and then the Waymaker movement. So yeah, we're pretty ambitious, and that's frankly just phase one through three of starting. Uh, there's a lot more that we want to get our hands on over time, but, you know, resource time, energy allocations kind of are dictating us starting there, but it's an exciting time for us. Yeah. A lot going on and it's good. I, I can respect that and appreciate that. So talk to us. You talked about Sisu right here, stamina. Um, you, you sent me a bot, which greatly appreciated by the way. It's incredible. I mean, it says on here, razor focus. I've I've taken it a couple of times now, and yes, I can 100% agree with that. In fact, I've, I've got some running through my system right now. But tell us about like just the evolution of this, and because I have huge respect for someone who can put something like this together. And then I want to hear about this this logo here, um, which I think is super cool looking too. Yeah, absolutely. So, with the advent of technology, if you have a, a dream and desire to create something, you can, especially it was true just with the internet and now with AI and everything else, it's even more powerful. But uh, CSU Stamina has been developed over starting in 2020. We began developing it. And 
tons of research. We had a fire the first two manufacturers that we had, the first two labs that we had. Uh, wow. And ultimately, we found a, a third group that we were able to bring to fruition what you have in your hand right now and what we're, we're taking to market. So, I don't know, hundreds of hours of research. And then we did over 30 iterations of testing uh, between all the manufacturers and had to move on to people who would uphold the standards that we wanted so that we could provide the clean and effective, appropriately dosed uh, supplement for our community. Yeah, and it's like I said, I've I've taken it. I was telling you before we started recording. Uh, you know, I, t- I took one yesterday, and I was all in on what we were watching. I was picking apart things that you know my wife was like, oh, "I missed that." I'm like, "No, it's clear as day to me." Um, I, I'm I always like asking people, especially when we start talking about supplements and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems like there's been this shift the past couple of years, and you know, a coworker of mine really turned me on to it, uh, but. Talk to us about like the benefits of putting stuff like beetroot into you versus, you know, your typical T4 bull Knox type pre-workouts that, you know, seem to be kind of landmines for your heart. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, CC stamina itself does have caffeine in it that will give you that immediate boost you want, right? It's about the amount of two cups of coffee or so. But what really gives it its power is, like you mentioned, beetroot, which is a vascular dilator. It helps your body distribute oxygen more efficiently. There's quite a few adaptogens in there. So Verdilia rosea is overall well-being and cognitive resilience uh, aid. It's a small flowering plant from up north. And then Sheila Heat is another one of the, the primary three of the powerful six that go into blend. We won't break them all down. Uh, but the Sheila Heat is a a mineral substance from the Himalayan mountains. And what's cool about it is that word in Sanskrit directly translates over to uh, conqueror of mountains, destroyer of weakness. <laughs> it helps with oxygen absorption as well, altitude sickness, and general strength and well-being. So all of these things together provide immediate benefits as well as uh, compounding benefits after 14 days of sustained use. So that's where, you know, my partner's name is Kirk Van Everen and I were both, we, we met serving together and we were doing that nicotine, caffeine, daydream cycle to keep going on uh, multi-day ops and things like that. And realized like we were sacrificing later for now. And part of the question when looking at starting a company was what if we could create a supplement that actually gave back strength and health? So that when someone needed the boost, they could have the boost now and be fortifying and paving the way for their future selves instead of shortening that timeline. And this is the result of that. Yeah. I said, good stuff. Love the uh, packaging. Break this down for us. The axe and the arrow. Yeah. So we designed every element on this label, even to the uh, the mountainous barcode, but the axe and the arrow has a, a couple, and then there's some mountains in the background and just mountains because it takes resilience, yeah. kind of demonstrates grit. But uh, the axe and the arrow had a couple of meanings. One, uh, multiple meanings. So the axe is both to hunt and to build and to defend, right? So with an axe, you can build something up, you can tear something down, and you can go to war with it. Uh, in the same way, the arrow is to provide. You can hunt, right, as well and bring food into your community, or you can remove a threat from a distance. So in both hands, it showed the diversity of one skill sets that we see as required to be someone who really contributes value to their community. You have to be able to build up things of value and create that value. You need to be able to bring provision into that community. You need to be able to defend it. And the beauty of the ax coupled with the arrow is simultaneously, you need to have awareness of what's right in front of you, as well as what's on the horizon. So it just, which speaks to the overarching situational awareness that you foster. So that that's the thought that went behind those two symbols. Yeah. Super cool breakdown there. And I, like I said, I, I think the packaging is amazing. Um, really impressed with this product. So that's off to, well, thank you. to what y'all are doing. Um, also, hats off for your podcast. You got an amazing podcast, Be Relentless. Uh, definitely recommend everybody check out your episode with the uber charismatic noble Gibbons. Um, yes. One yeah, of my favorite is. people walking the face of the earth. Uh, 
It was a great episode. You got your, you've now become a regular part of my Spotify rotation with your podcast. So, hey, uh, thank you. Yeah, kudos. Um, and there's a lot of podcasts out there that that I've listened to, but I was really impressed with it and, and how you go about it. So let our listeners know about Be Relentless. Yeah, so Be Relentless started as the Grit Theory and transformed with a partnership shift and a few other things into Be Relentless a few months ago. And it is a platform to allow for exploratory conversation and how different people lead maximized lives. And that's really in a nutshell. There's the the primary ideas. Let's sit down, have a healthy conversation in which we compare the tools that we've utilized to get to where we are in life and are looking to go in life. And maybe we can trade some of those tools and equip one another and help one another and gain different insights and perspectives as we're seeking to live intentionally. So that is the intent behind the show. And that's really what it's evolved into becoming as far as the, every time we have a guest on and that's what we're working to do there. I always like asking fellow podcasters this whenever I have them on here, tell non podcasters how easy it is. Yeah. And I say that sarcastically of putting together a podcast and, you know, I always hear people say like, Oh, I'm going to start a podcast and, you know, uh, I'm going to be Scrooge McDuck rolling in money when I get this thing up and running. Um, tell them about the realities of podcasting. You better do it because you love it. <laughs> yeah, because it's going to be a long time, more than likely, until money's being made. But, you know, the one of the jokes, I, it, it's just it's such a multivariable uh, pursuit because – yeah, you can buy the mics and plug them into your computer, sit down, have a conversation. One, you have to assume that you're halfway decent at being a conversationalist. So there's that. And then two, that anyone wants to talk with you, much less listen to it. So there's those elements. Once you get past that into the technical side, there's all the audio editing, the video editing, the marketing, the putting it onto all the different directories so that you can actually listen to it on Apple and Spotify. So yeah, so to, to honor your question of how fun and easy it is, uh, there's a lot of moving pieces, but it, it is doable. And then yeah. what would I, what I like to reflect on when I'm frustrated with it? Cause you know, everything you love in life can sometimes be the source of frustration is the reason for being doing podcasting is, is somewhat selfish, right? Somewhat self-serving in that when you're pursuing highly valuable conversations that can improve the quality of your life, and then you're vulnerable enough to, make that available to others. Uh, you always have the benefit, even if no one else listens to it, to the conversation that you got to have. And one of the things I love about podcasting is you and I are lasered in on each other right now, right? We're not checking our phones. We're not doing these other things. It creates a environment in which it is extraordinarily rude and unacceptable to be anything but zoned in on the conversation, which is, I think, a really healthy parameter. So, Yeah, and, connect, and I tell people the podcasting if i was to sum up podcasting on one word is connecting mm -hmm. i mean it is an ultimate connection tool and you know when when i sit there and i look at my bank account and i'm like man podcasting hadn't really paid off yet i think of the dividends <laughs> it's paying in connections and it's like wow this is super cool that i get to talk to people like you or the, the one i had two days ago where I, I got done i was like this is this is the coolest thing ever being able to do this and yeah. like you said it's a passion that um, that we have and can they find be relentless on all podcast platforms absolutely yeah so spotify apple google you name it iHeartRadio, all the the married collection you can find be relentless on don't just listen go leave a review that's big for us podcasts Dude, it's so true and, and to, yeah reviews are incredibly helpful and to uh bring up one of the points you had, one of the beauties of it is you and I would not be sitting here having this conversation, the opportunity and talk and fellowship together. If it wasn't for the fact that you had a podcast that I'm doing things and we had, you know, noble shout out again to him, the Q gangster for connecting us. And so it, it creates opportunity to meet a lot of wonderful people and see that the world has a lot of potential in it. So that's great. Yeah. Very true. Very well said. And you mentioned also you're an author. So you were just, <laughs> You, you, you're, I'm, I'm like living vicariously through you. You're creating supplements. You're an author. You're doing all these things I haven't been able to do. Uh, and talk to us about that, about the, 
challenge of I'm not I'm sure you didn't just roll out of bed one morning and start writing a book and say, oh, that was easy. Talk to us about the initiative to move forward yeah. and being an author. So it's it an iterative process that started roughly around the same time that I was like, okay, let's turn things around. I want to start capturing some thoughts, so on. So essentially for a couple months a year, I'd find myself with the desire to work on the book and then three to nine months would go by, then I'd pick it back up, keep working on it. And that happened for about the last five to seven years until I finally published it in March. Uh, outside of that iterative process, it is one of the more painful self-imposed experiences I've put on myself, frankly. It, it's it's very doable. It takes a lot of discipline and consistency. But when you're wrestling, like for myself, 83% of my original transcript was removed. Uh, 17% was maintained in the book because I didn't want to provide fluff. I didn't want to provide a bunch of uh, elaboration. I wanted to give as synthesized and powerful and concise a message as possible to help aid in other people's journeys as we travel through this adventure called Life Together. So that's what Be Relentless is. And it just, it took a lot of, it just took a lot of iterative time and editing was even more painful than writing for myself because of tearing it down so tightly and making sure that every sentence hit how we wanted it, like how I wanted it to. And then one more funny thing is when when uh, this is a we recorded the Audible book, my partner and I recorded that. He was gracious enough to help me. I scheduled a 10-hour day for a three-hour read. 60 hours later, over the course of six weeks, we finished the recording. So that was also beautiful. So shout out to Kirk for his help there. But uh, yeah, it. I'm very grateful to have done it and to have it available. So, how hard was that to do your own audible? Thank God for the podcast that helped a lot. But it, I made the mistake of thinking that they'd be the same, and they're not. You and I are having a conversation. You're driving it in the style that you like. When you're doing a book, it's like a production. Down, like the inflection of your tone on every syllable yes. can be the make or break on how the message is perceived. So. There was a lot of, hey, redo that sentence, redo that word, level of detail. And thankfully, he was an artillery officer as well. So we're used to painstaking uh, granular detail to make sure that we didn't shoot our friends. And that paid off a lot in the book because he'd be like, redo that sentence, redo that sentence. 17 times later, we got the sentence right, right? And we'd be able to continue forward. So that's how the, the Audible book came to fruition. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that. That inflection and in, in tone and volume, all that stuff is huge. And when I really, you were saying that, I was thinking back to it. I have an Audible subscription and I hate when I listen to a book and it is just as Aslan talk to Edmund. Like I need to hear yes. like that up and down. Like you you take me on a roller coaster with your words. Like I'm, you're excited and I can feel it. And then you slow it down when you really want something to set in absolutely it i i get turned off by a really good book that people rant and rave about if i listen and the audiobook is just dry it absolutely mm -hmm. kills me so and i glad you glad you mentioned that if they want to find out any and everything about you and the whole multitude of things that you're doing where can you send listeners to other than the episode they, description because we'll have it in there yeah, other than the episode description, they can uh, subscribe and sign up at ulauniverse.com. Uh, as we launch everything, they'll be able to gain access to everything that I'm doing at that one location. If they want the book before then, it's available on Amazon. And the audiobook's available on both Audible and iTunes. And then the podcast, as we mentioned, is available everywhere. End of the day, ultimately, when all is said and done, uh, what, what is your legacy going to be? Hmm. I would hope that it would be that I was a man who did what I said I would do and that my sons reflect on that as a source of motivation to continue to strive to be their ideal selves as they go far beyond anywhere I could ever go. Yeah. And intentionality. I mm -hmm. like it. What uh? What final comments you got for our listeners out there? If you feel let, like if you feel pulled, led to make a life change, do it. Earlier, I mentioned a juxtaposition from leaving the military. In the last couple of weeks, I resigned my position as vice president of the organization I was serving due to 
some situations that were occurring that I no longer had the ability to affect change and that were unhealthy and unacceptable. So that transition was made in large part based on that conviction and care, like that conviction, the desire to do that as a final act of leadership to the team who is staying on because of me and a few other things. And right now walking in the peace and grace of having upheld who I want to be in action, despite working to build a bridge to the next step has been incredibly empowering despite the negative emotions that could be associated with it. So, you know, walking through the season now of being able to focus more on my sons on building the ULA on having conversations like this with you and getting to meet gentlemen like yourself has been incredibly freeing. And I just would never want anyone to sacrifice the potential of what they could be for the fear of what they don't know. And I would encourage people to move accordingly. Yeah, I, I want to personally thank you because that, I think I talked to you like what the day after that had happened or <laughs> yeah, it was like, we did, we, we were both at this, like, uh, and, and folks, he's a saint for, uh, his interactions with me because we got connected at probably one of the busiest moments in my professional life. I'm on a one day turn and burn to Virginia and back for a training. And, uh, I don't think I told you right after I got off the phone with you, I think I did. I, I, I was on the airplane one of the most miserable airplane rides <laughs> I've had. I, I think I told you about the the guy that I got off the plane with and he had, he had purchased a seat, but he got a piece of my seat as well. And uh, <laughs> yes, you mentioned that. Oh my gosh. It was a painful hour and a half flight. Uh, I, I'm over there loading up on coffee at nine o'clock at night, trying to get this flight home. And uh, I mean, he, he's just been incredible with, with syncing up with me, even, uh, gracious enough to send me a sample saying, Hey, you're burning both ends of the candle. I think this could help you out a little bit. Um, Absolutely. So very, very gracious. Uh, like I said, very peaceful and every right to be living where you are and the people you're surrounding yourself with. So uh, I can't thank you enough for taking time to do this. So I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate Absolutely. you as well. And folks, I appreciate all of you listening, and I would really appreciate if you could head over to the shadowspodcast.com, Spotify, Apple, leave us a review, let us know what you think. Uh, we appreciate those five stars too. So leave a five <laughs> star review, let us know, let us help get the word out there, however those algorithms work, and keep continuing to spread the good word of the Shadows Podcast. We have got some incredible guests coming up. We have been doing tons of batch recordings. We've got some incredible guests lined all the way up to the end of the year. So this is going to be phenomenal stuff we have coming your way. More incredible episodes just like this one that we had today. Tune in next week on the Red and Black here for another episode of the Shadows Podcast.